Welcome to Halloween Horror Nights Unplugged, the creation of Halloween Horror Nights with your host, Julie Zimmerman. I have often been asked, where did the name Halloween Horror Nights come from? For Fright Nights, you know, was there, but that was just strictly our place. That was Universal Florida. There was nothing to do with Hollywood. Now, I hope you know, or maybe you didn't listen to my last podcast, but in 1986, Universal Studios Hollywood did produce the very first Universal Studios Halloween Horror Night, and that's a trademark name. There was a really unfortunate accident at that time with the tram and a young man lost his life. So Universal put the kibosh on that and nothing was ever said again. Well, who knew that they had trademarked the name? And truly, I didn't learn all this information until recently. So now I got it. I got, okay, Halloween Horror Nights. Universal Studios Hollywood decided in 1992 to bring back Hollywood, um, Hollywood's, oh my God, help me, Halloween Horror Nights. And now we got two places that are that are doing the same name. Totally different. Their, their attractions were different. Their haunted houses were different than ours. Everything was different than ours, but the cool part is we were all on the same page. Now, the other thing that I think is really interesting is the basic logo used for Halloween Horror Nights, the very first HHN, was the pumpkin with the chainsaw going through it. And believe it or not, that was created back in 1986 to be on all the merchandising for the original Halloween Horror Nights. Who knew? Who knew? So how did Halloween Horror Nights come together, you may ask? Well, kids, after the great success of Fright Nights, uh, everybody in that department sort of left. Tim Sibieli left. The director of the entertainment department left. And God knows who else. They were just dropping like flies. So that department is kind of like hanging by a thread. And who knows what was happening? So Miss Amy Henry, my great friend um, and vice president of special events. She said, well, you know, come hang and do some of our projects. So I did, I did work with them and I got to travel <laughs> on, on air. What was the name? USA Air Flights with the beautiful Marilyn Monroe. Now, not the real Marilyn Monroe, for we know she passed away long before that, but the Marilyn Monroe, Monroe lookalike, very attractive young lady. And we'd go through the airport, and Marilyn's got on the white halter dress, and she's just oh, oh, all over the place. So people are following us. We get on the airplane, and they put beautiful Marilyn in first class so she can drink champagne, and they put me in steerage, basically, with the dogs and small animals. So we would go to these airports, and, you know, Marilyn would just smile and do her thing. Other times, they would send me out with other characters to, again, promote the new Universal Studios Florida. So I did a little travel back and forth, and it was just fine with me. And they had other little tasks. The entertainment department did ask me if I would help them out at Christmas time because the staff that some of the actors that were doing Earthquake had gone to other attractions and since I did a lot of acting in LA I said okay and that part was a casting director who was casting for the movie Earthquake and there were three rooms in there and that's what you did you were kind of like the casting director supposed casting director and did three different rooms to do some casting for some gags that were in that ride and then send them on. So that's that's kind of what I did. I was like, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do whatever to keep myself employed. And then one day, 
they, Rich Costales calls for me. And so I call Rich Costales back and I said, hey, it's Julie. He goes, how are you? And I said, I'm great. And then he asked me, what would you do for Fright Nights 2? And I said, what would I do for Fright Nights 2? He goes, yeah. Well, I thought, okay, uh, all right. He said, just do me a treatment and send it up. And I just just said to God, okay, I'm going to write this thing for him and I'm going to put down what I would do since I have absolutely no direction on anything or what I might put in there or what they wanted to see. I just thought, okay, let me just write it down. Now I'm hunting for a computer that I can use, which is another one of my quests because I don't have a computer and I don't have a real desk. So I did borrow a laptop from another department and I found a little quiet spot in an abandoned trailer and I just started putting together what I would do for Fright Nights. First thing I did was I said I would bring back the dungeon the terror because at that point the Jaws Q line was still closed. God bless that shark. And it was already there. So I thought, okay, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but what we must do is reinvent the Dungeon of Terror because it was a hot, humid place, which the guests didn't really love. There were some other things that the guests really didn't appreciate, and, and I wanted to change it up anyway. So that was going to happen. I proposed a new haunted house called The People Under the Stairs. That was a 1991 Universal release, and it was a, a Wes Craven film. You know, this is one of the best... Wes Craven feels that nobody saw. It was produced for $6 million and it did $30 million at the box office. And I also thought, what a great house to do. I can do a haunted house with the scenic from that film. And there's a storyline that I can do that really fits into Horror Nights. So I wrote that treatment. And then I thought, well, let's bring something new into this mix. Let's do a show, a real show based around something. And what came to my mind was one of my favorite films, which is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I love this movie. I've seen this movie, you know, by now 15 times. And my thought was they go anywhere in that phone booth they want to go. They can go back to time, back to the future. They can go forward. They can do whatever it is. So I can put anybody in that phone booth to come out and be in the show. I loved it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have Bill and Ted trick-or-treating through time. And so I rolled up a treatment. I got that down. I said that I would bring back Thunderdome because Thunderdome was successful. And I really loved having an entrance to the event because it created a great atmosphere. I decided that I would really love to see more characters because we had a few in the first one. So I doubled that by at least 35%. And I had new groups going out. The monsters were going to come back, but I had the dead cheerleaders from Beetlejuice. I had the other folks in the waiting room from Beetlejuice. I had the Lost Boys. Oh, my God. They, they scared people half to death. They were going to be in Central Park. And uh, there, there were people that were, like, saying, those Lost Boys were wild in Central Park after the event, of course, took place. And I also went into place characters and other locations throughout where there wasn't a ton of action. So I want to put them in places where, you know, it's kind of dark and it's kind of spooky anyway because there's no happening right there and that's where some of the individuals were and those were like characters like Carrie so you know we got all these new people I want to propose I wanted to make sure the place looked creepy and yet beautiful at the same time with the lighting of the whole place and you know I just sort of wanted to to be able to create something with some new and some old because you know I I really I'm trying to figure out what what are they doing and when are they going to do because I had none of this information so that's what I did. So this was around February, and I'm going about my business again. And then once again, someone says, Rich Costales is on the phone for you. 
And I said, hey, what's going on? He said, we're going ahead with, and that's when he first used the name Halloween Horror Nights. Silence from me. And I said, we're going ahead with Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, what, what are we doing? He said, everything. And I said, even Bill and Ted? And he goes, even Bill and Ted. I hung up the phone. You know, I'm thinking, holy Mary, mother of God, they've got this thing coming to late October, and I'm sitting in a trailer by myself, having a Diet Coke, I'm sure. So I pick up the phone. I know really there's no one I can tap from the existing entertainment department, so I've got to go back to my friends that I worked with previously on the building of this uh, Universal Studios board. So I called John Paul Gertz first and said to him, please help me with this. And he said, I will. John Paul Gertz is an amazing art director, and he's also a lighting designer. He's just one talented hombre. John Paul came on board, and the next thing I did was call a project manager, Mr. Tony Pugh. Tony Pugh had just put up the monster show. I don't remember the real name. I think it's Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review or something like that at the factory. So he was still around. And again, he said, hey, Juju, sign me up. So I've got two people that I know are really good at what they do. And that's kind of the very beginning. And as things went forward, then I, I got another graphic designer who used to work for Universal Planning Director. And I'm getting people from anywhere I can that I trust and I know are talented to get this bitch off the ground. So John Paul immediately started storyboarding after we discussed what I wanted to see in these haunted houses. I cannot draw, darlings. I cannot draw. I can write and I can talk really fast, but I have no, not the gift of, of drafting or storyboarding or anything. So the man, the myth, the legend, John Paul starts putting together the storyboards for the two haunted houses. And they were they were fabulous. And you need storyboards because there's absolutely no way you can share what's going on with the scenic designer or anyone working on your event or film and or Halloween attraction unless unless they know what it looks like. So that's what we did. And then he started to redo the the Dungeon of Terror and put in some new things. I wanted to see things in there like a kind of a hall of mirrors, you know, because I kind of like a, I like a kind of, you know, those cheesy carnivals when they have the fun house. I like that. People under the stairs, we talked about at length and, you know, decided we could take frames right out of that movie and put it in a haunted house. And so that's how we began, you know, a small little tribe of people. Still, we don't have a trailer. So one day I'm walking down the avenue and I run into Tom Williams and he says, hey, how are you? I said, I'm doing really well. He said, well, where are you now? I said, well, I'm nowhere, Tom. I don't have a trailer. <laughs> I don't have a place to sit. I, I don't have a phone. And I don't even have a legal pad. Anyway, he looks at me with that look next day. The kids are are telling me to call Mr. Pete Jackaloni up in the big house and Pete goes, hey, we have an office for you. I was like, no. Well, they put me in a finance trailer gang. Now, finance people, you know, these are serious people. They think in a different part of the brain than I do. And you walk in and say hello, and they all look at you like, you know, you're Satan's sister. And I just thought, well, fuck you. I'm going to work out of this trailer. I had a computer. I had a telephone. I'm happy. Well, every time someone would come in to talk to me, and there's some wild tribe that we had working on this, that, that gang would just stare, and they're just like, I think if they could have growled, they would. Now, eventually, we did move our kit and caboodle into the special events trailer so we could communicate a lot better. And um, that's how it began. In 1992, the event was extended to 
six days. So on the 23rd, 24th, 29th, 30th, and 31st. I love the pricing for this event. If you were a resident of Florida and purchased your tickets in advance, you paid $22.95. Now, if you're a Florida resident buying tickets day of, it was $24.95. If you were out of state, the price was $33. If you were kids out of state, it was $26. And if you wanted to upgrade from the day ticket, it was $12.95. Oh, that's some interesting pricing. I read often that the budget for this was a million dollars. I did control the budget for our portion of it, but I think it was closer to 1.3 because I don't I don't think I ever did anything for just a million dollars. Of course, Fright Nights was $3.50. I didn't control that budget, but this one was more expensive because there were wonderful things that we're adding. The other part of it that was really interesting is my boss at the time would come to me and he would say, I need $150,000. I need $50,000 more dollars. And I had a budget in front of me and I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can pull out that much money out of an existing budget because I have everything down to a dime. So I'd have to call up the big house and not beg them for money, but I had to justify why we needed more money. And I was like, oh, Lordy, I think they got tired of my phone calls. They probably sat up there and said, oh, no, she's not asking me that again. But the one thing that I love was some of the press that came out around the event. It's the first time we were getting more coverage than ever before. There's this great little 15-second bumper that was shown on Good Morning America. And it was the universe of monsters and other ghouls, beautifully shot and Basically, it was Frank Ann Stein who was the spokesman, and he said, from Orlando, Florida, Happy Halloween! Good morning, America! The interesting part of this was they never said Halloween Horror Nights. I don't know if they were prohibited from saying that or why, but, you know, I'm saying if I was watching TV, I'd say, where in Orlando, Florida is that going on? And Whatever, I don't know why that happened, but I thought that was really interesting. A lot of locals picked it up. They would have things like the local, one of the great local reporters, and he would be brought into Universal. They'd say, hey, we want you to audition for something. He's all excited. You know, I'm going to have a big part in this. The man's name was Bill Schaefer, really wonderful guy. And, you know, they fooled him a tiny bit and had him get in the coffin with the rats. He was a good guy. They also had nationwide notices for Rat Lady. And that was great press because you're going to pick that up nationally. Universal Studios has auditions for Rat Lady. Anyway, I loved it. And the greatest thing I loved about it was some of the things that were written about the event. One of them appeared in the Orlando Sentinel on October 23rd, 1992. It says, grown-ups, here are hints on how to conduct yourself in a proper manner while attending Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights number one. Enter the allegedly fear-producing attraction. Number two, observe the macabre actions and scenes. Number three, attempt to maintain a serious, thoughtful deposition. Number four, half a second later, give up and scream real loud. It's hopeless, really, to try bravery. <laughs> it won't work. Once you shell out 23 bucks to get into the theme park, you might as well check your macho impulses at the door and let your 10-year-old self takeover. I love that. That's one of my favorites because it's like, it is a little bit like what it is like when you go into Halloween Horror Nights, especially if you're brand new. A couple things that were wrong that I read or knew that was in the media was that 
the Psycho House was in 1992. There's no Psycho House in 1992. It also was written that we had 300 characters. God help me. No, we didn't have 300 people. Can you imagine at that point, 300 people, and that would mean we'd have to put together more characters in a very short amount of time. The auditions for Horror Nights was all internal employees were available to do this. There was no outside audition whatsoever. So we put up the notice and all the break rooms to come on down. We had an assortment of humans, and, you know, we'd either ask them to do a short little monologue from their favorite horror film or how would they scream and you know what were they like up close and personal but my favorite had to be a young lady we called big chris she was really tall she showed up at the audition and she had two bandages around her her wrists and, and little devices and i said well what happened to you chris she goes oh i fell while rollerblading and i said well okay now you know we can't put this young lady into halloween or night she's already got two broken wrists and i said what are you gonna do she had she said i've written a little monologue that i believe lizzie borden said as she killed her family she got into character thank god she didn't bring a real axe and she goes whack whack daddy you're dead i'm going up the stairs now to kill mommy Whack, whack, mommy is dead. Now they're all dead. What do you think? It was not something I'd planned. It was an impulse, and I just wanted to kill. And we're sitting there with their little eyes open, like, yeah, okay, thank you. Bill and Ted auditions were a little different because our stunt coordinator, John Zimmerman, had to audition the kids for that because they were going to be doing stunts in, in this. And, you know, you really have to have upper body strength if you're going to do a stunt. So he had that, although we did see the Bill and Ted's and did look at the basic body type and look of the folks that we wanted to cast, but that went over to the stunt guy. I didn't have anything to do with that. So that's how we we got that going. Um, We also had other folks show up, other attractions, which I'm going to share with you in part two. So hold on, kids, because... Get ready for Halloween Horror Nights 1992. In every town in America, there's a house that adults whisper about and children stay away from. It's a house where there very well could be people living under the stairs. Brand new haunted house for us. This house basically I thought of when I was putting together Halloween Horror Nights because there was a Universal film released in 1991. And uh, it's a Wes Craven film called The People Under the Stairs. I had seen the film, you know, 7,000 times. And in my brain I thought, perfect haunted house universal release the scenic elements of the house are perfect because at some points you are in the walls in the people under the stairs and in other parts you are on the other side of the walls in this weird ass house and in other parts you're in the basement so john paul storyboarded it up and we knew what we were going to do you have to storyboard everything so you know what it looks like and you have to do that also for the people that are going to do the scenic for you and then from that you start the blueprints now we don't have any space, you know, at this point. The fabulous Jaws queue line was once again closed. That thing was closed for three years. That poor shark. We didn't have space. We got the sound stage. We paid for the sound stage. We paid for a lighting director. Paid for all the lighting instruments. And the one thing that is really funny was we had 
LN2, a huge LN2 machine, which is basically, you know, has has fog in it, thinking, how cool is this? So once we had the thing built in the soundstage, we ran the machine, and it was a creepy as hell. Well, we never thought about the fact that thousands of humans were going to go through this. So we had a preview of the house with Tom Williams and all the people from the big house. And once the bodies got in there, the fog went away. So that was a that was a pretty price tag on that that didn't work. Anyway, let's talk about the house. The Robson's house from the film was an abandoned funeral home. That was a funeral home they said was built in 1895. And that is where we're going to go in. Now, in the movie, there's two robbers that go into the house trying to find money and gold. In our premise, our guests are going to go into the house because it's a haunted house and it's Halloween Horror Nights. If you want to go see the real house, it is in L.A. It was built in 1905. It's at 2215 South Harbor Boulevard in the West Adams District of L.A. When you go to see it, you're going to see other houses in that area that are also haunted houses. You know what I really think I'd like to do? Not today and not this year, but I'd love to take and form a little group of us that will go to Hollywood and I will take you to all the haunted house locations and homes and the movie stars like Errol Flynn and some other creepy calling people. And I'd love us to go on a tour. Part of it is a walking tour. And I want us to stay at the Villa Valentino where I lived in my first years of Hollywood. And it's a it's an amazing place built in early 1900s and it's it's one of the old garden apartments in LA let's get back to the damn haunted house let me shut up so we go in there and it's the beginning of a funeral home what the first room looks like I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral home I have and basically it's a room of coffins now these are dusty crappy coffins because they've been there a long time there's also those big decaying wreaths you know that they put at the grave site there's clothes that are only to the waist because believe it or not if you've ever been again to a funeral home you'll see this people don't have their own clothes they bury their wonderful family and there's little things you could buy that are only close to the waist because in a coffin you only see half of you it's a creepy ass place there's shovels down there there's dirt down there and we're walking going okay okay so that's okay we see ourselves now we find ourselves in a very opulent house with wonderful paneling but we also hear scratching noises going through that saying to yourself what the hell is it we hear kind of moaning and groaning and and the first scare we have is from the people that live in the house that aren't the ghoulish creatures from mom and daddy who basically open up a section of the wall and scares us half to death and now somehow we are going downstairs we go downstairs and we're inside the walls of the house so from one minute you're in the interior of a real house the next one you're inside the walls and you're walking going what the hell is this because you feel trapped you know you have laugh you have different bits of wood just like you would in any house and on the other side of us are the people under the stairs living in that section and they have flashlights and they're shining flashlights on us to see who we are but we can also see who they are and they are these ghoulish creatures that were captured by mommy and daddy who own the house years and years and years and they basically live down there and they look like green and purple creatures so the effects for this house were ours but we emulated everything from the movie and we also emulated the facial effects and some of the special effects And uh, 
Oh my God. It was so cool. Now we're running through the house and trying to get out of this damn house. And now we're going to be back in the regular part of the house. Made it to feel like we've gone up an elevation and we're in the kitchen. Okay, here comes the scares, gang. You know, you're always going to have a scare on the left and then on the right, a little breath. So you go through the kitchen and all of a sudden, the ghouls that live under the stairs are coming out of the cupboards to chase you through. Boy, we're moving. Now we're back inside the beautiful part of the house and there's a door. Well, you try to open the door, which is one of our great tricks, and you hear a dog growling and scratching on it and this horrendous bark. God bless America and all she stands for. You're going to head on through. Now you find yourself again going downstairs. And downstairs you see this guy, basically, who is Daddy. And Daddy is skinning some form of a human animal we can't really tell but we do think it might be human and he's cutting this up and he's throwing raw meat at the people under the stairs not at us kids because we can't throw something that looks like anything with blood on at you throwing it to the creatures who are inside the wall and daddy takes a few bites for himself so basically this is our cannibalism phrase now we're running got a moment of breath then we see this young lady who is cleaning blood up in a bathroom The next thing is Mommy, who is the girl with the knife. I call her Mommy Dearest because that's what she looks like. A little bit of Joan Crawford. She's yelling at this poor girl. We get out of there. Moment's breath. Next thing you know, from the ceiling comes Daddy, who is dressed in leather, to get us the hell out of the house. We're booking it, kids. We're booking it. We come now to a large open space. But the problem is that is us on the house part, but the people under the stairs are in the walls again and we are trying to get out of there now the problem we had here is we should never have let that many people in an open space because now you've got 25 30 people we got to move them out <laughs> so we did have to bring some of the people under the stairs inside the stairs to wash them forward now they're they're starting to get out of here they want to get out they want to go home and there's these people literally clawing at them from inside the walls and there's mommy and daddy who are trying to kill us so the great part of the scene is Mommy and Daddy are basically attacked by the people under the stairs and chewed up and thrown out. And this this propels us out of this house because God knows we don't want to be eaten either. So again, which I love is people running in the house. I love to create experiences that feel real. I love to create psychological experience as well as a little bit of blood and gore because in my life, I like a little bit of mystery mixing with comedy and horror. I don't know about you, but, oh, I wish you all had been to the people under the stairs. One of the strangest things I was asked to do with Halloween Horror Nights was to take for the rides and make them scary. Okay, I said to myself, gosh, I think I kind of have a lot to do right now, but let me see what I can come up with. So they said, we want E.T. to be called the Alien Forest, Back to the Future, Voyage to the Unknown, Terror Underground is Earthquake, and Tram Way of Doom is King Kong. Well, girls and boys and people of all nations, how in the world are you going to take a ride created by Steven Spielberg, the famous E.T., and turn that into something scary? Now, kids, in the beginning there, when you go through the queue line and beginning of the ride, it might be a little creepy creaky, but it's not scary. And God knows you can't take and make tickly moot moot scary. So 
I talked to my tribe and I said, you know, the only thing I think we can do is something in the queue line. We can have random scares come out of there as well as in the very beginning of the ride when you see the uh, police and such looking for Elliot when he's on the um, in the ET with ET trying to get away. That's all I can do. And that's what we did. And I also, I just didn't want to spend a lot of energy on trying to figure this out because there was so much on our plate right now that I didn't understand why they even wanted to do it, but I believe it was just something for advertising and promotions. Now, back to the future, Voice of the Unknown. Well, that worked a little bit, and that one, again, now I can't change a ride film that costs, you know, $23 million to produce, and I can't, you know, what am I supposed to put? Make a Munster Mobile instead of the DeLorean, so basically we're looking at Q-Lines again. Q-Line had mad scientists running up and down within it. Terror Underground, the world-famous earthquake. Well, kids, again, this is a disaster film. So what we did and really felt the only thing you could do was at the very end there when you actually experience the earthquake and all the water comes rushing at you, we dyed the water red. And then when we got to the mighty Kong, the love of my life that is gone, the tramway of doom, it was written again, let the guests go down into the area where the mighty Kong was. Hell no, people, hell no. Never at a time in my life at Universal Studios could you ever let a guest interact in mechanical parts of a ride because something could happen to them such as death. We changed the TV. The TVs had video running on them, obviously. We put some scary things in there, and once again, all we could really do was put a couple of characters in the queue line and then also have them ride the ride with you, and that was... That was the story. And bless God and everybody else, don't you know, they asked me to do things the same the next year, come up with new ideas. Well, I ignored them, people. I ignored them and repeated exactly what was done in 1992 because what the hell were they thinking? I wanted to explain a couple of things I said in the podcast in case you're wondering what the hell is what the hell is LN2? LN2 is liquid nitrogen. It's a really cool effect and this is an amazing thing that basically cools the air by 20 degrees. You'll see it often in attractions as well as certain nightclubs. I love LN2. The other comment I made was that there wasn't a psycho house. I don't mean that they took the psycho house down. I meant to say the psychopath maze was not in this Halloween Horror Nights. I wanted to share a little fact about the amazing people under the stairs. Universal had an attraction called Twister, which is also gone by now. And in Twister, it's basically a drive-in movie. And on this large screen at the movie, the people under the stairs was playing. They originally wanted The Shining, but that was a no-go for lunch. So the people under the stairs were showing. And I love that. It made me really happy to know that they had some kind of impact from Halloween on, on attraction. Well, I want you to make sure you tune in to part two of this podcast. Because that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Robosaurus. Bill and Ted's excellent Halloween invention, the new Dungeon of Terror, the Hellcats, the Tightrope Walker, and Wolfman Jack, and Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review. So that's the story, Morning Glory, and I can't wait to hear you again if you want to leave a comment, or you can, of course, leave a comment on Instagram and let me know. 
If you'd like to have any questions answered, because that's why I'm here, they don't call me the Halloween Horror Nights Queen for nothing. So, my darlings, I hope you have a really horrific day full of horror. I want to tell you, I love you all. And keep going to Halloween Horror Nights. Bye. Thank you.